coming up this week on Breaking Badness with our special guest, Ryan Kovar. Today we discuss the pros and favicons of homoglyphs. Next up, how oil rig is rolling in the dough. And our fun game of two truths and a lie with Ryan. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 56, recorded on August 10th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, in it for the long pun, LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad. Don't hate me, but I think I enjoyed virtual Hacker Summer Camp more than real Hacker Summer Camp Anderson. Chad, that might be your longest intro yet. And last, but not least, our very special guest, Ryan Fourleaf Kovar. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. As as promised, that was as bad as it could be. Yes, welcome. I'm <laughs> very happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. It was it worse. It, that's true. Chad has seen Chad has seen things before they've been edited or heard them. I should say. So he's really hear, like heard the low barrel puns. <laughs> I, I thought for sure you're going to go for crowbar, but you went the high ground. So I'll give you <laughs> two internet points. <laughs> well, it was four leaf clover pun or something with red rover. Um, it was it was a hard choice, but. You know, it's good luck to have you here today. So we had to go with a really positive, wonderful pun. But before we get started um, with our typical episode here, when we have a special guest, we really like our audience to get to know them. And so we like to ask questions like, you know, what's your mother's maiden name? What was the model and make of your first car? Just, you know, typical icebreakers. We we find it helps connect our guests with our with our audience. But, um, of course, I, I guess we shouldn't ask you questions that may hurt your security. So instead, we'll play Two Truths and a Lie, the old school way, rather than with our articles. And um, so Chad and I have a chance to get to know you, Ryan. We're going to ask you at the very beginning for your three Ryan Kovar statements. And then at the very end of the episode, we'll come back and see if Chad and I can sniff out your deceptive statement about yourself. Um, and, and play and finish up the game, I should say, of Two Truths and a Lie. Does that sound good, Ryan? Yeah, let's let's try this out here. Awesome. Go for it. Okay, Two Truths and a Lie. Um, my entire career is based on a day that I wore glasses. My second truth and a lie. I lived in London for many years and received my bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Westminster. And my final truth and a lie I've played incredibly drunken flip cup on the White House property. <laughs> These are all incredible. I want them all so badly to be true. <laughs> Absolutely. Particularly number three. <laughs> um, and I hope in, in its truth, I can later ask which administration that was under. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, Ryan, you've given us a lot to think about. Chad, you're just let that simmer with you. I will as well, and we'll come back to that at the very end. We'll probably have you repeat it, but I feel like by the end, I have hope that we'll know in our heart which one it is. But with that, let's go into our first article here, which is the pros and favicons of homoglyphs. So hackers are abusing a new technique, combining homoglyph domains with favicons to conduct credit card skimming attacks. So, Chad, I really want to start with, what is a favicon? (laughs) 
Can we start there? <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Favicon is a little icon in the top of your browser tab. It changes for each page. You know, for Gmail, it's the red and white uh, little envelope logo. Um, but they're unique in a way for you to quickly identify which page is in your browser tab, basically, um, whenever you have 300 tabs open and you can no longer see the text, you know? That right there is a fine game of tab roulette. That's what I like to call that. Oh, moment good, good. Just... <laughs> good God, sir. <laughs> Just scanning the tabs. See, I cheat. I have a little plugin that lets me just start like fuzzy typing the the title of the tab or something that's in that tab, and it just I can select it. It's a, it's a cheater mode. I don't I don't do clicking. Unacceptable. That is not <laughs> how the game Tab Roulette is meant to be played. Chad, we'll get back to that. I'm concerned, but I suppose we should move on here. So, of course, the more important you know more important question here is how are favicons been incorporated into previous skimming attacks and why do they really add value? Why is this a tool in the hacker's kit? Yeah, so favicons, um, like many images, can hold, uh, you know, additional code in it. It's like, or, you know, as we talked about in the past, steganography. Um, so we've actually seen them used in phishing kits at, with previous research at Domain Tools, um, where someone was embedding uh, JavaScript into favicons and then extracting it out in their, their you know, work on the page. Um, it was just a way of obfuscating. Um, we have a repository somewhere of a bunch of favicons we pulled from phishing kits um, that I should probably find. But uh, basically, in this attack, uh, yeah, the favicons uses a delivery mechanism for the malicious JavaScript that's doing the skimming. A more important follow-up question, Chad. Do they have like favicon conventions? And would they call that like a favicon con or is it just <laughs> It's something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. And hopefully they're very tiny conventions. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think that happens next door to the grammar conference, Comic-Con. Oh um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's in Oxford though, every three years. Mm. Um, yeah, that's how that works. All right. So it sounds like Malwarebytes recently released a new report highlighting some key revisions to an old technique. And this is really what brings us, this is what brings us to Breaking Badness today. So what did Malwarebytes find? Yeah, so uh, what happened here is the skimmers combined what's called a homoglyph. Um, well, I wouldn't really call it an attack, just a homoglyph. Uh, it's basically a domain name that looks near identical to another domain name at first glance. So in this case, um, they had a G that was swapped with a Q. Really easy to mistake um, once it's embedded on the page. Um, or for instance, people go further with, like, say, a Cyrillic character that looks similar, anything in Unicode that fits. Um, so with this... Uh, they basically, yeah, use this to then load the favicon from a page of their own choosing. And it looked the same except for, you know, a couple of bytes of code that were embedded in it um, that was then ex extracted from JavaScript. I want you to start a phishing magazine called GQ. Mm. And I think that you could have a lot of fun with the cover with that. I'll just yeah, say. Just... I don't know if that's brilliant or puts them up for a lot of risk. I'd like to... <laughs> a lot of lawsuits. A lot of lawsuits. <laughs> I should register QG.com if it hasn't been yet, or QG Magazine, and see if I, I can do some fishing there. That would be a very missed opportunity, if not, I will yeah. say. Get some free Gucci bags. <laughs> so can you provide some examples then of uh, these... I guess the article refers to them as homograph attacks, which consists of abusing domains with homoglyphs. Mm -hmm. um, I know you keep a really close eye on domain registration patterns and this type of a abuse. Um, is this something you see fairly often and what does that usually look like? 
Yeah, so these are pretty common, you know, in the in the fishing game. And we actually have a tool here, FishEye, um, which was built just to hunt for these sorts of things. Um, there's any number of variations that can happen. Um, there's also like markup on uh, letters that can happen for, um, you know, various Unicode characters there. So there, there's actually a list from the Unicode folks, um, or at least like the the body that governs Unicode. I don't really know how that works actually, but it's a list of all the similar looking glyphs that are possible. And there's thousands of them. Um, and for that reason, a lot of the registrars don't allow special characters to be registered. And there's actually some rules around that, but like with all of the domain registration rules, um, there's always some small registrar that's, uh, that's breaking that. So we see lots of things. There's, there's a lot of like um, really common say Hebrew characters that look near identical to, I believe like it's an M so they can get, you can register like a Gmail look alike or things like that. Um, it's super common and there's so many variations out there for attackers to rotate through. So uh, it's just, you kind of see it all the time. Do you have in the back of your mind, like the best spoofed lookalike domain or have there just been so many you can't even possibly categorize that? Um, yeah, I, I know there's been times where we've had a lot of laughs and slack over something that we've found um, and that has tricked a lot of people. But uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. It's that common. One of my favorite types of slacks to get within our company is when people send a really long domain and they've just parsed it incorrectly in their brain. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, one of them was ant sex terminators, which was, of course, ants exterminators. Yeah, that's a good um, one. It's also a uh, great movie. You haven't seen it before. It's on HBO. <laughs> After 9 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, okay. So, Chad, going back to that Malwarebytes research, when they're actually detecting the inter-skimming kit, what types of new techniques did that bubble up? Um, yeah, so they, you know, they were malwarebytes was just using a Yara rule on virus total to hunt for these um, skimmer kits. And code reuse is like really big amongst these skimmer groups. So they were able to spot it um, just by monitoring for the JavaScript, uh, which are sorry, looking for the JavaScript, which monitors form fields. Um, and it was really just like, the new thing was that they were using this favicon to load it, which isn't super new, but um, you know, it just hasn't been seen in the skimmer kits, I would guess. I'm not a super expert on skimmers, but I'm guessing that's where they were saying that it was a new technique. A um, little bit of extra obfuscation though would have definitely hidden that from the YAR rule. So um, maybe that's in the future now. I wanna live in a world where there's a skimming attack on Trader Joe's by a Scandinavian APT, so we can call it Scandinavian Skimmers. Uh, is that referencing a product at Trader Joe's that I maybe have never like tasted? What? You've never had Scandinavian Swimmers from Trader Joe's before? No, is that, am I missing out on, like normally I just go right in and I just pick up dumplings and I leave. <laughs> That's my Trader Joe's move. <laughs> well, I'd say pre-COVID, like it's not very exciting, but now apparently gummies are the spice of life when you are quarantined inside of your home. So yes. <laughs> oh, they're Swedish fish. Yeah. They're like a knockoff. Oh, yeah. well, I eat Swedish fish by like the gallon. You know, they're okay. they're one of my favorites. Uh, I didn't know that they had a knockoff there. Um, normally I go right to the source though. I'm a big like, you know, purchase the, uh, the popular product kind of guy. Like I don't get the knockoff brand cereals. I'm going to go right to the Captain Crunch. 
I also like that you use the like the aquatic measurement of gallon, not like by pound. Yeah, pounds or yeah. I don't know, milliliters or gallons. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fish. <laughs> oh my gosh, my gosh. Well, I want to do some sort of A/B test with you, or some blind Scandinavian swimmer versus um, Swedish fish test to see which one you actually like better or if in fact you were that brand sensitive chad this tells me a lot about you oh no i know no matter what i would just be like oh yes this is also something that is just high fructose corn syrup molded into a fish shape like it's (laughs) it's all the same (laughs) oh gosh well going back to the article here so one key ioc mentioned in the report is cigarpage.com so i'm curious first of all how did this take part in the campaign itself or in the attack and did you find anything interesting yourself when investigating this domain yeah so uh this you know was just one of the domains that they mentioned uh where the favicon was being pulled from sakar page but with a q for that final g um instead of the g there so um you know looking into it i saw basically the same stuff they did there's an ip a couple of domains on there um you know, these kind of uh, attacks are pretty ephemeral and these groups kind of move fast. Um, but yeah, it, you know, the good news is lots of people are hunting for these homogless domains for major sites. Uh, the bad news is that uh, that means attackers are going after all these small time sites with, you know, don't have the resources to monitor and secure themselves. Right. So um, that's just something to worry about in this case. I guess it was all like small retailers that they, you know, uh, were throwing their skimmer on. Which, speaking of, do we know how many sites were actually impacted for the skimming attack? So for this specific one, it looks like there were four or so. Um, but like I said, these things move fast. They're probably already on to, you know, 10, 20 other domains and, and sliding off from those as well. So, All right. Well, Ryan, now that you've heard Chad's case here for this specific skimming attack, I'd like to get your thoughts on the hoodie rating there of zero being completely just kind of a funny anecdote or 10 being um, your concern for Chad's love of generic foods. I'm going to have to give this a, uh, an unwashed hoodie rating of about a four, I think Uh, like you've taken it off and you've put it on the floor, but you're probably going to wear it again tomorrow because you know, it's not that bad and you haven't left the house for two weeks. (laughs) It's we've seen a lot of homographs attacks over the years. Um, I personally like to buy all the ones for my company's domain and then send them to new hires that all lead to Rick rolls, uh, which is great fun for me. Um, that is yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's a fun one. Really get some treat them, treat them mean, keep them keen is my, my thought process there. Um, the, the skimming aspect is kind of new that I hadn't heard before. So that was, a uh, that was really interesting. Yeah, Chad, would you agree with that wonderfully creative hoodie rating that definitely resonated with me? <laughs> I, I would, certainly. And I also, um, you know, in the past, I'd look at purchasing domain tools with a Z um, and also domain fools uh, with an F. And I, I didn't. And now I'm kind of ashamed. I could have been putting those to such good use. <laughs> they, they came off for great things. Uh, the, the only bad thing is eventually we, you know, my security team did this whole review and then called me and said, hey, just out of curiosity, have you been sending these <laughs> internally to people on Slack and own the domain? Because if you do, it's fine. If not, then we have a problem. No, no, I own them. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. That's amazing. That's great. 
I think we could spin something up here, like a Rickroll as a service. Like we just host your domain. It goes right to like an Nginx redirect, super easy. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can just buy as many domains as you want through us. You actually have to get pretty creative these days with Rickroll because the YouTube monetization. So now I go to Rickroll SoundCloud. Uh, so that's really just gotten through most of my issues. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Pro tip. <laughs> that's awesome. Would it be like RAS Rickroll as a service? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I mean, the good news is the marketing is already written. We'll never let you down. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right, well, let's get into our second article here with Ryan, which is how oil rig is rolling in the dough. So an Iranian hacking group known as Oil Rig has become the first publicly known, which I think is debatable, threat actor to incorporate the DNS over HTTPS or DOE protocol and its attacks. So um, Ryan, I always find it helpful to remind our audience of some key motivations and tactics of APT groups. So what do we know about Oil Rig and what are they known for? Sure. I'll preface this by, I'd call myself a, a gentleman threat intel analyst. Um, you know, I'm not in the fields every day like I used to be. So more of a looking on my porch at the veranda for, for people. But the uh, the overall idea for APT or advanced persistent threats is that usually our nation state sponsored. Uh, a lot of times those are synonymous. Um, and historically, like when I started in the business about 15 or 20 years ago, they were known because they had incredibly advanced tooling compared to what average people were using. Uh, and what they were there for was the persistence is they had a goal sponsored by the government to come in and usually liberate, you know, I say liberate slightly jokingly, um, information from the government. They weren't so much motivated by monetary gain. They were trying to get intellectual property from defense contractors or military plans or information from the government. And that's kind of the historical idea behind APTs. These days, there's a little bit more of a blend if you look at something like Lazarus Group uh, from North Korea, uh, they're arguably funding the North Korean government with Bitcoin transactions and actually funding their own attacks and all sorts of fun things like that. So there's been a little bit of a shift from what's traditional APT of custom tooling into, I think, what today is where you have APT groups using open source offensive software tooling, uh, which is a perfect example here of oil rig using uh, uh, the, the DNS over HTTPS tooling we'll talk about here shortly. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. That was fantastic. And um, something I wanted to refer to as well, which is actually the link here in the show notes people can check out, is a webinar a few weeks back with Vincent Diaz of Kaspersky highlighting some changes that happened in May of this year with oil rigs and arsenal. So what can you tell us about DNS Exfiltrator? Sure. Uh, This is a perfect segue from our previous comment, almost like we planned this ahead of time. But DNS Exfiltrator <laughs> is an open source tool on GitHub uh, written up. It's very similar in idea to things you might see for um, PowerShell Empire or Covenant or any of these other incredible tools that researchers are writing up and publishing. Uh, there's a lot of debate about whether or not people should or shouldn't do that. I'm not going to really get into this because that could be a whole other podcast of uh, burning hoodies. Uh, but the point is people are writing up these toolings and publishing them. And the, the really interesting thing to me now is that you actually see a significant number of groups, uh, nation state sponsored groups, taking these open source uh, offensive tools and putting them inside of their, basically their TTPs, their playbooks of how they attack. Uh, sometimes they're actually incorporating in a malware. Other times they're using it as a second or third stage to exfiltrate. Uh, what I find fascinating about oil rig using DNS exfiltrator is one of the, when, when I think of oil rig, I always think of, a couple of years ago, somebody um, 
tweeted out a whole bunch of the tooling for oil rig. And I think Palo Alto or someone else reported on it. And one of the big things that come out of it is that they use a lot of DNS tunneling. Uh, DNS exfiltrator is actually yet another DNS tunneling tool, but it's using DNS over HTTPS to obfuscate the traffic that's being sent outbound. Uh, so it's kind of really stepping up their game uh, and improving on the TTPs that they were already doing beforehand. And if you have any question, if you've never heard of oil rig, you're really not sure what we're talking about, I highly recommend uh, looking at the MITRE ATT&CK page and just looking at the different adversary groups. They give a great summary of what every adversary group does that they know about. And then they also provide primary sources from vendors who've written up great research on them. Oh, that's a fantastic resource. I'll definitely link to that as well in the show notes so people can access that from the, the blog of sorts. Um, and you've already done a great job of answering why DNS Exfiltrator is helpful to oil rig and why they're using it. I'm curious why or what, maybe we could actually step back through too for our audience that may not be familiar with DNS over HTTPS. Why is this a useful protocol for Exfil? Sure. So I always like to think when I go back to my red teaming days, um, the hardest part for me as a red teamer is always getting data out of a network. And there's a there's an old rule of thumb I was taught by a gentleman named Mubix uh, in uh, the DC, uh, Maryland, Virginia area. It was basically, if, if nothing else works, just do a DNS tunnel out and you'll always get through. Uh, because inside of a corporation, no matter what, no matter how locked down the system administrator and security team thinks it is, they'll eventually have a path out to be able to do a query to resolve a DNS entry. And so you can always use DNS exfil. But if you're actually recording network metadata, uh, it's actually very easy to see this traffic. It's very unique. It's voluminous. Uh, you know, to get a five or 10 megabit file out, you're, you're talking a lot of network traffic from a single host, all using DNS. So it became pretty easy to detect if you had the tooling in place to see it. What's fascinating about DNS over HTTPS is it's taking the next step of SSL. Uh, like I said, when I first started, I'm starting to sound like a dinosaur in the field, but when I first started, everything was clear text. And all you had to do was look at the data on the wire, look at the PCAP, and you could see exactly what was happening. You know, and about five or six years ago, four or five years ago, we actually tipped over where something like 70 or 80% and now almost 100% of traffic on the internet is SSL encrypted, which made our difficult our job as defenders arguably much more difficult. But we could always still look at the DNS records. We could always see like, I don't know what the adversary is transferring to and from, but I can at least see where they're transferring it to and from. Uh, the idea of DNS over HTTPS is they actually begin encrypting uh, the, the to and from because it's going to a what's called a basically a single resolver. Uh, if you're using Firefox, for example, you're probably using uh, Cloudflare. If you're using Google, you're using Google infrastructure. I think Microsoft is about to release it. But what it does is it provides the end user privacy all the way up to that third party. So the network, the you know, if you're a, if you're working in an organization, you can no longer see that SSL tra or that DNS traffic that you used to be able to. Uh, there's some great blogs and articles by, uh, you know, the godfather of DNS monitoring, perhaps uh, Paul Vixie for Passive DNS, uh, talking about why this is a travesty for defenders. It really makes our job, in my opinion, quite a bit harder. The argument, of course, is that it shouldn't matter if it makes our jobs harder. It's giving more privacy to the users. Um, why this matters for the adversary is if they have malware or if they have... Um, if they have an exfil methodology that's using this DNS over HTTPS, our traditional tool sets of pivoting off of domains or blocking domains or IP addresses kind of goes away. All we're seeing is traffic encrypted from the host to Cloudflare or to uh, NextDNS or any of these other uh, TRRs that are used by DNS over HTTPS. Uh, 
so that's where I see adversaries getting a lot of use out of this. It's obfuscating and making it significantly more difficult for defenders to actually see what's happening. And it bypasses our traditional tool tooling set. Oh, that was excellent, Ryan. Thank you for highlighting all of that. And a question I have for you both that just popped into my head is um, I talked to Sherrod DeGrippo last RSA, pre-pandemic RSA, and something she mentioned she does in her interview process at Proofpoint is she asks people how protocols make them feel. Um, and I'm curious with that in mind, how does DNS over HTTPS make both of you feel? I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to start with you, Ryan. I'm curious if you have a response to that. Uh, suicidal, frankly. Um, <laughs> I say this. Uh, I, I cut my teeth and I made my name, perhaps, as a, a young analyst, being really good at DNS pivoting. Uh, you know, and first thing, first GDPR happened, and now, um, and now this. So a lot of the skill sets that I had growing up in the industry are kind of now no longer valuable. And just as a defender, it's just a lot of work and a lot of effort has been put in over the years to work on these block lists and and threat intel and this really mitigates a lot of the work we've done over the years yeah well said in chat i'm curious if you have any uh, feelings to attach to it as well yeah i'm, I'm trying to do i uh, try to figure out in my head a way to be both it's like like i'm in a cabin wrapped in a warm blanket but i know there's just a bunch of bears outside like i'm really happy as a user that that <laughs> privacy is going to be there i think that's something that's great but um there's there's also this whole fear of a lot of that um a lot of that easy, uh, you know, hunting is just going to go away um, for for those of us that are defenders. And I guess the other thing too, um, you know, on the privacy end, like it's it's good for now, I guess, but it just means that we're going to go down one more layer, right? Like people are going to start sharing NetFlow data, and and um, well, people already are actually, but um, it's just going to get. You're just kicking the can down the road, right? Now you're saying like I don't trust AT and T, but I trust Cloudflare or Google or Microsoft. You know, nothing yeah. against any of those companies, but you're still, unless you're running your own resolver with SSL encryption, uh, you're still just pushing this onto another organization that has access to all that data. Uh, and who's to, you know, if you read the Firefox document of why they picked Cloudflare, they basically said they've agreed to be a good citizen and delete all the data after 24 hours. Um, okay. So I'm looking forward to that first breach. Once again, nothing against Cloudflare or anyone else, just, to, you know, these things happen in life. Yeah, well, and now Firefox has uh, Comcast as well. And one of the deals of that agreement was that um, Comcast is not allowed to keep or resell any of the data um, for like passive DNS or whatever. So that's going on there. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how good that goes. But then the other thing, too, on the enterprise level, like people are just going to be doing uh, TLS inspection like you know, at that level, uh, it's just going to be, you know, more and more uh, endpoint devices that are just pulling apart all the encrypted traffic for these enterprises, because that's like, that's the only way you can be safe. <laughs> now, these are all such great points. And I'm curious, just bringing it back to the conversation with oil rig, how dangerous as from the blue teamer perspective and the defender perspective, is this new technique when it's being leveraged by uh, an APT? Um, I think it is, um, I mean, what I would what I would argue against is this, we can say that it's the first time it's been detected and attributed to a nation state group. I can almost guarantee this is not the first time any APT groups have been using these methodologies, right? Uh, in fact, the big news, I think, was more that they are using this open source tool, the DNS sex filtrator. Uh, there was a great presentation a couple of years ago, uh, two years ago at AttackCon, where somebody released some open source tooling on it. And then since then, I think in 2019, you had SciXBot and Godlua Backdoor that were both released, which were malware that used the um, 
they actually use DNS over HTTPS to communicate to their C2s. So we've already been dealing with this. We just haven't had it kind of shoved in our face so the APT group is actively using uh, this data. So I, I think it is, you know, it, it, hopefully this raises awareness, but I think the reality is people just haven't, it is so difficult to detect that my guess is it's already out there in an active use, we're just not seeing it. But I am curious too, to end on maybe more of like a tactical note, uh, what could organizations be doing? Or do you have any advice for organizations who are trying to protect themselves against similar types of attacks, knowing full well that APTs tend to be more targeted for the most part? Um, so not specifically oil rig, but generally against this type of technique. Sure. And, you know, Chad already hit on one. The the easiest thing to start thinking about is actually intercepting SSL traffic and and looking there. But for a lot of organizations, that's either not possible because of politics or cost or national law. Um, I'd also look at if your organization is desiring to do that. Um, a lot of corporations would not want their their web browsers to actually go through and connect DNS over HTTPS to Cloudflare or wherever. Uh, you know, Mozilla has, there's various switches you can turn on on the configuration for Chrome, Edge, and Mozilla to actually disable uh, DNS over HTTPS. So for me as a defender, one of the first things I'd look for is, you know, do I have, you know, if you look at almost at a Sysmon level or an endpoint level of, do I have a executable doing, you know, traffic that I wouldn't expect it to be doing over HTTPS? Um, that's always interesting. If you have tools like Zeek or Suricata, uh, implementing JA3 to actually get a signature of DNS over HTTPS is possible, I believe. Uh, so those are some ideas to kind of look at. Uh, but the reality is there's some good research out there of ideas how to detect about this or detect or defend, uh, but I haven't really heard anyone come up with a, a solid a solid answer. So it's still very, very troublesome, in my opinion, to blue teams. With that in mind, I think it'd be natural here to segue into that hoodie rating. And Chad, I'm going to start with you. What would you rate this particular attack, or I should say, more of like highlighting this new tool set here from Oil Rig? Yeah, you know, I would I would put this at um, uh, eight out of ten, nine out of ten, just because I think it is going to cause us a lot of problems as defenders for a while. Um, and but I do think. Like I'm always confident that someone's going to do some research that comes out of how to detect something, you know, or or pick it out. Um, like Ryan said, there's already people looking for, um, you know, signatures that can, that can spot DNS over HTTPS use. Um, I'm sure that all of the uh, AV vendors, you know, are going to be having something that's in, inspecting binaries and seeing, you know, what kind of traffic they're doing and and decide whether or not, uh, you know, it should be calling out over uh, DNS over HTTPS or what. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's worrisome. It's going to be trouble for now until people move and adapt. It's how security works. Um, if anyone makes something that's totally undetectable, uh, it's time to shut off all the computers. <laughs> Is trouble for now the unofficial tagline for... <laughs> For blue teamers, <laughs> yeah, I guess I mean you're you're always kind of uh, a little bit behind, right? Well, not a little bit behind, but uh, I, I I don't know I don't know how to put it. Always something to worry about. Yeah, what do you think, Ryan? Would you agree with that? Eight point five ish. I'm first of all, I'm disappointed, Chad, that you didn't go like cropped hoodie, like get specific there with your mid level scoring. I'll give you an opportunity to do that here. <laughs> I, I'm going for uh, I'm going for eight as well, uh, and my hoodie metaphor is this is a hoodie you you knew was around but you haven't seen it for a while and then you just found out your ex-partner who you had a horrific breakup with is sending you slices of your hoodie every day in the mail uh with your name written in blood on it 
Uh, so it's kind of one of those like, well, thank God I got out of that relationship, but my hoodie is coming back to me in pieces. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's where I'm going to go for uh, for hoodies. Ryan just dunked you. He just yeah. dunked all over your hoodie rating with creativity. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Well, thank you both for your input here. This has been really helpful. I love the conversation you two had for both of the articles. But I think what's on everybody's mind is what is Ryan's lie? So Ryan, if you could remind ourselves and the audience of what those three statements were, and then Chad and I will be forced into a painted into a corner, if you will, to try to sniff out your lie there. <laughs> sure. Um, in no particular order. Uh, I've played drunken flip cup on White House property. Uh, my entire career is based on a day that I wore glasses. And I lived in London for many years and received my bachelor's and master's degree from the University of Westminster. I love the strategic flipping of the order there, Ryan. That was a really effective tactic. I respect that. <laughs> Just a quick randomization. Hmm, Chad, do you have a gut feeling? I do. Ooh, I do. Well, okay. it's mostly because I want to hear the story on what I want to believe were the two truths. <laughs> um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into uh, the one with the most detail. Um, and say that I believe that, you know, details indicate lies. So London and Westminster um, uh, is, I'm going to, I'm going to say that one's the lie. Hmm. I guess I could have looked this up. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I promise that was not our secret goal. Ryan is to check out your LinkedIn for your educational background. Well, well the good news <laughs> is it wouldn't have answered one way or the other. So. Hmm. All right. Your turn. I think I'm kind of leading towards what Chad said. Also, really selfishly i want <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna double down um we're just gonna put ourselves at risk here so uh, I, I see i made the fatal error of uh, invading asia which was putting too much detail to make the lie so you're correct um, <laughs> the lie is i did live in london for many years and i did receive my master's degree from university of westminster but i actually do not hold a bachelor's degree um, I never got one. And when I was in the London, they allowed me to test out of a bachelor's degree for my master's degree in cybersecurity. Nice. Oh, cool. Yeah. And the other two are true. So thanks for having me. And, uh, <laughs> um, I think we have to hear the other two stories. <laughs> sure. So the, uh, the glasses story is I, I joined the Navy out of high school and I was, uh, enlisted as a radio man and I was supposed to do radios in the Navy. And while I was in boot camp, they actually changed the rating to become IT, information systems technician, which I was overjoyed with. I didn't know I could do computers in the Navy. So I went through my secondary school, which was an advanced school, and I pretty much aced the entire section, the entire half of the class that was on computers, I 100%. And then the second class, part of the class was radio, and I only did okay, uh, 60 or 70% <laughs> on it. I did not do great. I did not like radios. I'm not good at adjusting, you know, uh, UHF rate rays across the troposphere. It's not something I'm good at. And uh, I thought, okay, this is great. So I, I got my assignment. I was off to the USS Kitty Hawk in Yokosuka, Japan. And I showed up in the morning. Uh, the ship pulled into port. And uh, there are 15 of us who are being assigned to work computers or radios in the um, on the Kitty Hawk. And this uh, older gentleman who was uh, picking people out or, you know, picking up the people to go to the computer shop, ADP as it was called, automated data processing. He went down the line and he said, you, 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 and you, and he picked me. I was like, oh, this is great. And so I went and I became a computer guy and my entire career 
is based off learning. I was a system admin on the ship. I had 34 people working for me. I had a budget of millions of dollars. We had 5,000 users. Uh, you know, I was 22 years old and it was incredible. And you know, one one night I was out with this gentleman and I said, you know, I have to ask, was it my skills? What did you see in me that made you pick me for the computers? And this guy been in the Navy for 30 years. He goes, glasses, nerds wear glasses. So I just pick all the people who have glasses. <laughs> Solid. That is amazing. And uh, to, to answer your question, it was during the Obama administration. Uh, and I have a very good friend who was working as a, you know, working in the White House and threat intelligence at the time. And uh, you're actually allowed to, I don't know if everyone knows this, but in the Eisenhower building, there is a bowling alley um, that President Truman put in. It's called the Truman Bowling Alley. And if you're actually employed at the White House, you're allowed to book, as long as the president or the president's family uh, doesn't want to use it, you're actually allowed to book the bowling room or the bowling alley, which is just two lanes uh, for basically a party for your use. So you get to have friends over and you can bring in some alcohol and food and cakes. And we actually went for a birthday party. And after several hours of bowling and drinking, we ended up playing a, a very drunken flip cup on the White House. So that's awesome. That is incredible. Great stories. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I understand that Truman had to name it after himself, but why couldn't have he called it like put a pin in it or something like that? You know, there was some real missed pun opportunity with a bowling alley at the White House. He should have had more fun. <laughs> yeah, they really struck out, if you ask me. Ah, yeah, there it is. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> pun points. Oh my gosh. Well, Ryan, Chad and I loved having you on here. Thank you so much for your time. And we're really excited to share this with the world. Thanks for being on Breaking Badness. Yeah, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Excellent. Well, we'll be back next week for episode 57. Everyone stay safe and don't drink and click. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>